This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 16th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The cause to defund police hold a great deal of appeal to libertarians. After all, it's police that run the war on drugs, and no money should be spent fighting it. For many on the left, however, the deal appears to be more of a package. Move money out of police budgets and into social programs. Jonathan Blanks is a visiting fellow at the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity. We talked about how defunding the police might work, as it did in Camden, New Jersey, and what it would mean for public safety and relations between individuals and government. It is a weird situation to be uh, someone who identifies himself as a libertarian, seeing a lot of people who, for the most part, are, are left-wingers saying, defund the police. Um, to what extent do you suspect uh, my inclination about what that means and their inclination about what that means? What's the difference there as far as you see it? From a libertarian perspective, defund or abolish the police looks something like, okay, well, we're going to have a private security force and that they will be um, responsible for being the neutral observer between two people who, who conflict, right? It's the idea of community coming together and saying, this is how we're going to handle it. And it's a private security force. Uh, the popular defund the police movement uh, on the left is very much of the socialist mold. They want to take the money that is going into a police department right now and, and redistribute it into the community to take care of all the problems that the police are tackling right now, whether it's mental health issues, uh, drug abuse, uh, domestic violence, whatever. Any of those things need to be, the money has to be taken directly out of the police departments and put into programs into the city. Right. And it's a pack. It's, it seems like the, the pitch is, this is a package deal. We want to remove money from this place and put it into services that, as far as uh, uh, they're concerned, will render a lot of that policing unnecessary. Absolutely. They have, I mean, already they have started what in many ways are libertarian solutions to the problems of over-policing. Uh, they have uh, violence interrupters where people who are known in the community who may have um, done time because they were banging, gang banging back in the day and uh, they, they get out and they try and come in to mediate disputes so people don't follow the same path that they that they did um there are mutual aid societies that are trying to help pe people stay on their feet particularly in like times of pandemic um so it's a lot of really grassroots stuff but the defund movement is much more of a let's get government money to do this and so there are going to be and there already ha have been libertarian objections to the sort of like the, the broader the broader program now, I, I suspect that uh, if you watch uh, voter support for uh, Black Lives Matter, if, if not the the group, certainly the notion, um, the voter support has, has skyrocketed recently for uh, the idea, at least. Uh, I, I suspect then that the, the median voter is not somebody who wants to zero out police budgets, but is definitely somebody who thinks that their their budgets ought to be viewed with a great deal more scrutiny. Yeah, and I think I don't think there's anyone on any side, uh, any political side that doesn't think that police could probably spend money better outside of the police themselves, right? The police are like, oh, we just want more money. But insofar as you're a deficit hawk or you're just trying to balance a budget, uh, you figure that there are some things that police 
probably spend money on that they you know we could probably zero out but the the idea of getting rid of a police force i think is still anathema to a very large percentage of americans um to it to the extent that i think there's a lot of conflict between uh observers right now is that what are we going to cut you know the i the a lot of the defunders are like we want we basically want the police out of our community entirely so like cut back the number of police officers but they also uh support a lot of the things that libertarians would want to cut the militarization of police uh you know all the tanks and and all that all that stuff the drug task forces all these uh units that basically come into the to the community to to the community's point of view terrorize but to uh the police view you know enforce the law and it's just sowing those uh, antag- those antagonisms between the police and the community over and over again so uh in the first few weeks of protest, it's pretty typical that you don't see a list of well-thought-out uh, requests, demands uh, from protesters. It usually takes a while for that kind of stuff to gel. Uh, certainly, qualified immunity is on some people's lists. Um, but if you were had to assemble a list for people to say, these are the things that you ought to be fighting for, that uh, whether or not they effectively are a cut to a budget, uh, what are the changes in policing that you see uh, providing a, a disproportionate punch, um, given the, the, what people are demanding now? I think if you, if you take what the abolitionists and the defunders say that they want to do when they make their argument they're like i you guys think it's really crazy that we're saying get rid of the cops but the thing is if you go into a rich white neighborhood if you see a police officer it is to the side he's like maybe he's doing traffic enforcement but it's not he's not in your face he's not doing everything you you know rich white communities live without the police all the time we want the same thing um and so when you think about what policing actually looks like in these neighborhoods where there are officers jumping out of cars and searching kids for guns, where, you know, they're running or, you know, they are jump when they're jumping out of cars. Sometimes they have their guns drawn, very aggressive in your face policing, get rid of all of that. Yes. Obviously you want a community to be safe, but just visible police presence has been shown to actually lower crime in certain areas in, in, in what they call hot spots. So, if you can do that without actually getting out of the car and scaring the crap out of innocent people is I think a much better way to handle uh, policing in those neighborhoods. Uh, At the same time, all of the same complaints that libertarians have had for a very long time, civil forfeiture, trying to find cash or uh, seize cars in, in search of the drug war uh, is absolutely something you can get rid of right away. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm afraid that the, uh, rhetoric to defund police in states where they have uh, civil forfeiture laws is actually going to increase uh, police reliance on that because the municipal budgets are all going to start crunching because of the tax uh, the tax loss from the pandemic and and everything that we've lost with the economy. Yeah, you you before we started recording, you had mentioned that uh, that be sort of it's sort of a be careful what you wish for kind of thing where. We all have we have to stipulate up front. There will very likely be a police force operating in some capacity in your community in the future. So if you take that as a given, what do you want to do? And if people are advocating for uh, reducing budgets, reducing a lot of, of the things that police do, um, 
if that means uh, a tighter belt for police departments, uh, civil forfeiture is a pretty uh, profitable way to go. Absolutely. And it, that will increase the aggressive policing that is antagonizing uh, everyone. Because I think so, we get so caught up in the brutality and these really horrible stories, and they are horrible, and they sh- there should be m- many fewer instances of this. But insofar as like, these aren't the only problems. We have daily abusive police, and that it just wears on a community. It wears on the people. But it wears on the cops as well because they're they're stopping a lot of the same people. They are not liked in their neighborhoods, and it's just you know no one's happy with the situation, and so the complaints are absolutely valid, and the police should internalize them. Um, unfortunately, the incentives line up right now where. Say if there is a spate of shootings in uh, in a neighborhood, even though that the police department has already adopted community policing kind of friendly or non antagonistic ways, if there's a spate in shootings, the the, the mayor is going to come down on the police chief saying, "Hey, we need to get guns off the street." So the the first thing that the police officer does, I mean, the police chief does, is send his officers out like, "Go get guns off the street." So they go find guns, they turn them in, they say, "Hey, look, all these guns we got off the street." Um, and the what they had to do to get those was shake people down and sometimes violate their rights. Maybe they get conviction, maybe they don't. But they they solve the problem at hand. And so you have a political problem that the police are trying to solve. And the uh, and the community isn't any really any better off because uh, all the research shows that when people are carrying guns on the street, like young kids in the inner city, it's because they're scared to death. And if that's not everyone who's carrying a gun is going to hurt someone. Now, granted, we don't want to encourage that behavior, but at the same time, shaking a bunch of people down and finding random guns is not actually shown to make anyone safer. Yeah, it uh, certainly runs the risk of of destroying whatever relationships uh, officer-friendly might have uh, created in those communities. Yeah, I mean, so uh, here in D.C., uh, we have what's known as a gun recovery unit. And at the same time, the D.C. police has been very, very um, open about their past problems with brutality and their past problems with the use of force. Uh, Just today, they tweeted about it's been 19 years since they, you know, entered a consent decree with the federal government and they have really, really improved their use of force and their any discriminatory discriminatory tactics. And. And if you do ride-alongs with DC police officers, they are very, very cognizant of this. They understand that they need to have a good relationship with the people in their community. But the gun recovery unit still operates like a gun recovery unit sounds like it would operate, which is to jumping out of cars and trying to find guns. And so uh, there was a, a great story, I think, in Politico a few years ago, where they interviewed a bunch of high school seniors uh, in the district and asked them how they felt about out about the police they're like well our school resource officer is cool but we hate to jump out cars and they come like i can't remember the days but two days a week they knew that's when they were out and they would just be expecting them so it they they hated them they were absolutely uh just scared of them and each of these kids had lost someone to gun violence and so it's not that they don't feel that they is something wrong in their community that they want to get fixed, but this is not the way to do it. And they all understand that. So to the extent that people are calling for uh, defunding the police, I think there are a lot of uh, lower income and minority neighborhoods that might look at that skeptically. 
And there are a lot of wealthier and whiter people who look at that and say, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and, and, you know, when you look at the, even given the nature of uh, the typical interaction that these different groups might have with police, you also sort of sense that maybe there's a little bit of privilege at work in calling for either defunding or abolition. Is that fair? Um, I mean, I think there, I, I think the defund movement, because it's been working for a while, I mean, j- just to lay some background, this, um, the people have been putting effort into this, like mobilizing this effort for decades. Uh, people are now just hearing about it, but it has been going on for a bit. So on the left, it has quite a wide, uh, um, a very wide purchase. People, you have college professors who are backing it. You have activists, you have writers, um, but you also have people in the communities who care about this. But the thing is, is when you think about how a community operates, even though our cities still remain very racially segregated and also segregated by uh, economics, not everyone in those areas has the same politics, right? So for example, if you do a ride along in um, the sixth or seventh district in here in, uh, in DC, um, it's majority black and they have, you know, the higher murder rates than they do in the other parts of the city. Um, but they also have a high number of calls for service, what police call 911 calls. And so when I, I remember we went out on one, uh, on one call and there were a bunch of kids standing outside, they weren't doing anything. I mean, they were probably in, ingesting some sort of intoxicant, but in so far as like, they're not causing really any problem. They're just standing in, on the street. And so the police by law have to respond. Now how they choose to respond is different. You know, it, it's up to them, but uh, someone called for that and you, you know, doing the numbers, you know, it's like, if it's a 95% black community, everyone on the street is black. The people who called were probably black. And so it's not that every black person hates the cops. It's not that every black person, you know, doesn't, trust the cops or, you know, doesn't want them in their neighborhood. That's, that's just simply not true. However, it is important to remember like who's, who's, who's calling, why are they calling and who is it being called on? So for example, if a crowd of uh, kids is sort of, uh, has been shot up before, like if there's a drive-by or something like that, someone may fear those kids, not necessarily those kids, but they don't want a target, you know, in front of their house. Um, at the same time, you know, the people who actually have to deal with the cops when they get there don't like the way they're treated. And again, some of the cops are cool about it. They just say, Hey, I got the, you know, I got the phone call today. Um, can you guys break it up a little bit? I understand, you know, you can't stand on the sidewalk for too long. Please don't do that. But then you have other officers who just come in. They're like, Oh, here we go again. Come on guys. Let's move it, move it along. You know, just being really jerks about it. And if they decide they, you know, they smell marijuana or something like that, then they can start hassling them. It's like, Oh, okay, let's see what's in your pockets. That sort of stuff. Um, most officers I talk to in those areas don't want any part of that. They're like, I, you know, live and let live. They're not doing anything really wrong. I don't care. And it's certainly, uh, 16 year old me, I wasn't thinking that I would ever be in a police car and drive through a cloud of marijuana smoke and the cop not blink an eye. In the effort to defund or abolish, and I want to clarify that uh, we're, we're really talking about defunding the police, but in Camden, New Jersey, in 2012, they blew up the department and started over. So they seem to be operating from uh, the perspective of, we are going to have a police department, 
but we need to start over. What did they do and and why do you think that's a a model worth building on? Uh, so the leadership of Camden Police Department had wanted to make a lot of changes for a long time. They had a very high crime rate. They had a, a, an insanely high murder rate. And the leadership wanted to make changes. And they had a very aggressive, in-your-face style of policing, and they couldn't change it. They tried, every time they tried to put in some sort of, you know, better policy, uh, the union would fight it and they would need like more money for the cops for them to get anything done. And so it just got to the point where they weren't, they were completely ineffective effectively. And, um, the state government, the local government and the police department and the police leadership decided to disband the entire unit. They, every, every officer in, in the, in, uh, in the department, including the chief got fired and they had to reapply and take a 50 page, um, you know, re-entrance exam. And so they did hire a lot of the officers back, but they didn't hire all of them. And they were able to build a new culture there that was much more focused on what the community needed, was much less uh, focused on the enforcement of uh, of the laws and actually trying to figure out what is actually going to make the community safer. And they've seen a dramatic drop uh, since that blowing it up in 2012. They have seen a dramatic drop in both violent crime and murder. And it's it's still a problem city. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is not, you know, it, it has not turned into Mayberry. But insofar as this is a way that you can handle an, a, a department that has just lost its way, um, the police chief did get his job back. He helped uh, uh, rebuild it. And he's since retired, but then his... Uh, his successor marched with the protesters in this latest round of protests. They didn't have any of the problems that we saw all over the, all over the country. Um, do that. Does that police department still have problems? I'm sure that they do, but insofar as it like, they are going to be more responsive to that than they would have been in, in the, uh, in the last go round. And I, part of that is, you know, the pressures that the, the power that the union, ha- that union had. Um, and I think we have to think of better ways going forward to try and loosen the grip that uh, police unions have on these police departments. And uh, as we watch a lot of these protests continue and calls for reform grow, uh, it seems that unions are trying, the police unions at least, are trying to dig in their heels a little bit. They do not seem responsive. It, it almost seems like the, that blowing up the department and starting over is the only way out for uh, communities that really want reform and are being sort of stymied at every turn. Yeah. I mean, but there are 18,000 police departments in this country. I can't give you a percentage of how many of them are, you know, sort of Camden style, can't get anything done sort of beyond the hope of reform, but there are certain departments that absolutely need to be blown up. Um, just today, I, right before we started recording, I saw that um, the office, the Chicago office of Bobby Rush, uh, Representative Bobby Rush, had been burglarized during their unrest, and uh, a bunch, like several officers, including three supervisors, uh, just basically took over his office. Well, keep in mind, looting and rioting is going on outside. They don't care. They're sitting around his office. They take his microwave popcorn, pop it, and eat it. Some of them are sleeping in there, just you know, using his phone, just basically, okay, we're just going to take over this guy's office. Um, you know, the, both obviously the representative and the mayor were quite offended at this and it just sort of fits with the pattern of unaccountable Chicago cops. I mean, 
they they have such a long history of misconduct that it is just absolutely maddening. Uh, so uh, going forward, when uh, somebody hears the phrase defund the police, what should they believe about the slogan? I think they have to realize that the people who are complaining have a really legitimate point. The police are spending the money on the wrong things. They are they are policing entirely wrong. And the fact is that, that we should be able to come together and come up with a way to better spend the money and to better police these communities. Um, there, It will be tied with abolition. It will be tied with a bunch of other programs that a lot of people aren't going to want to want to buy into, particularly in a time where you're going to see a lot of municipal austerity. But insofar as they have a legitimate complaint against a police force that is uh, abusing them, it's absolutely true, and we need to work with them to make it a better place. Jonathan Blanks is a visiting fellow at the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity. We spoke last week. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 